It was a very cruel scene. Executed in an unusual manner. cruel coven hello my little hot cross buns sorry for calling you assholes last week (laughs) (laughs) my name is tori i'm katie and this is cruel and unusual the podcast welcome here we are (laughs) and we are here thank god maybe are we really here what if we're not here don't get me started on the matrix (laughs) i had a i had (laughs) i saw a tiktok and it was this girl um reminiscing about her first intrusive thought in third grade wow she was sitting on the toilet in the school bathroom and she's like you're not really sitting here going to the bathroom you fell asleep in class and you're peeing your pants in the classroom with your (laughs) pants down i'm like yeah yeah i have those feelings you know (laughs) the matrix is real and it's a real thing i'm convinced i don't like this um reality no lately i'm i'm okay with having world (laughs) yeah i'm i'm okay with having an alternate reality i want to be on a different timeline a different one. What is time? It's a blip. Anyway, happy Thor Day. Happy Thor Day. Um, I just wanted to quickly remind you that I was promised something today. By me? By you. Oh, shit. What? <laughs> I was promised a useless fact that could sometimes be oh, not useless. All right. You got one? We were talking. Le- Katie and I had a wine night last night, like mm-hmm. a girl's night. Yeah. With with Katie and myself and, and pizza. The Oh, yeah. And, and pizza and, and the cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we went and we shot for our, our alcohol, which I haven't drank in a million years. Same. We went to Walmart. For snackies. Uh-huh. And then we went to Pizza Hut. And then we sat on our couch with her cat. Mm-hmm. And it was great. And, but before that, we learned a lot about a bobcat. Yeah. <laughs> and about how... um Animals have to be dead in order to test for rabies. You, yeah. Because you have to get the brain tissue. I am no Steve Irwin, mm-hmm. but I mean, obviously there are signs. Yeah. Of rabies. Erratic behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Not but they have to be dead because they have to test the brain tissue to be yeah. 100% certain. Right. So there's a fact. Um, but I want another one. And that all stemmed from the Bobcat video that went viral. If you haven't seen it, <laughs> wait, I'm going to share wait. it. <laughs> <laughs> good morning no no let's start with the end it was i'm gonna shoot that fucker yeah good morning good and then it loops around <laughs> good morning so it's a husband and wife walking to their car in the driveway and the bobcat comes up and attacks the wife everything everybody's okay yeah don't worry um but <laughs> the way that it loops because mm-hmm. he ends it with i'm gonna shoot that fucker <laughs> he just goes from zero to 60 yeah. so fast because he's gonna protect his uh-huh. wife uh-huh. Yeah. i'm gonna share that video in the group in case you haven't seen it anyway i have a fact another okay. fact good you know the lipsticks in the tubes that you get, not like the liquid lipstick with yeah, the like wand, but like the tube that, that you twist up. Yeah. And sometimes the bottom is clear and it shows you the color. Yeah. You can pop that off and that's lip gloss. Are you fucking kidding? No. I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought it was just to show you Me what too. color you're grabbing. I haven't tested it, but I've seen it. Do you know how I've much seen it. product has probably been wasted on yeah, stupid They don't like advertise me. that. No. Mm-mm. Wow, that's a good one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's cool. a fact for there's you. There's a fact. Thank you for delivering fact on that is a promise. Fact. You're welcome. Okay, Katie, will you please read me your article? I will. I'll do it. This is from Huff Post or Hufflepuff <laughs> Post. I'm not going to read you what the headline is because it'll give it away. Oh, okay. So it's going <laughs> to um, be a mystery. A modern day mystery. A modern mystery. Right. It's written by David Moy. Moye. Moy. I think that's perfect. David. Dave. A woman in Krakow, Poland. Ooh. Krakow. Hey, Poland, is that right? We should ask Ray. Grandpa Ray, Ray. He would know. He would know. Had quite a fright when she saw what looked like a bizarre animal that had been hanging in the lilac tree outside of her home for a few days. I would like to be in a lilac tree. The woman called for help dealing with what she thought might be an iguana, according to the BBC. When the officers showed up at the scene, they were able to nab the mystery animal bread-handed. Bread handed because the animal in question turned out to be a croissant. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love croissant. <laughs> According to a Facebook post by the Krakow Animal Welfare Society, and she just thought that it was croissant. not moving <laughs> the whole time, or like an iguana. I don't know. Did yeah, they like maybe not move they for just a while? Hang out because aren't they? Yeah. Chameleon- aren't they chameleons? No, <laughs> they're iguanas. I just asked if an igu- a 
Ron is a chameleon. <laughs> well, wow, I need to take a step back <laughs> and calm down. The per- okay, I think they do just hang out, though. I think so. Like yeah. a chameleon. Right. The person behind the post theorized the croissant was thrown out of a window as a treat for birds in the area and ended up getting stuck in the tree. <laughs> Although the woman's worry turned out to be unfounded, she did the right thing because, quote, there are people willing to get rid of any animal that causes some trouble or just get bored, end quote. It's better to check and be pleasantly disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> that should be my tagline. I mean, yeah. Pleasantly disappointed. Pleasantly disappointed. The animal rescue did not mention what happened to the croissant after it was retrieved <laughs> from the tree. I would imagine it got it was hard as a rock. That, that <laughs> right. That uh, croissant. 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 It's a croissant. <laughs> <laughs> isn't that funny though it, it really is funny and it makes me once again think about that little tom ford or whatever his name tom was. cruise tom, Cru- tom ford oh i am not i'm unwell today <laughs> anyway Boy, what is your article okay my article is from www.independent.co.uk all right the title is actually i should tell you first it is by ellen barry and Dmitry Kosyukov. Okay. That was bad. <laughs> All of this is a quote, but the headline is, Inside the strange Dutch tradition of dropping your kids off in the forest at night. Oh. Have you ever heard of this? I don't think so. Okay. If this sounds a little crazy to you, it's because you're not Dutch. <laughs> Shortly after 10 p.m., I read about half of this because actually I found it this morning. Mm-hmm. You guys, for the first time in a long time, <laughs> I had an article just ready. She was a raring and ready to go. Katie said, do you have your article? And I said, yep. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> it was the surprise of a decade, the surprise of a lifetime. Um, I I heard about this, like dropping your kid off in a forest. And I was like, "That is that true? So I looked it up and I found this article and I read the first couple paragraphs and I wanted the rest to be a surprise. Is it to teach them like survival skills? Don't know. Okay. All right. Okay. Here we go. Shortly after 10 p.m. on a recent night, a car comes to the stop at the edge of the woods. A door opens to release three children. Two boys, 12 and 15, a 12-year-old girl with dark pigtails and an emoji-covered backpack. Then the driver throws the car into gear and speeds away, gravel crunching under its tires, spelled T-Y-R-E-S. The tires. (laughs) They are tiny figures at the foot of the forest, miles from the summer camp they are attending with only a primitive GPS to indicate the right direction. Oh, Lord. Darkness is falling, and they are alone. They peer into the night. Is this the path? Could be, says Thomas, the 12-year-old team leader. And then, because there's nothing else to do, they plunge into the woods. I wouldn't do that. This is a Dutch scouting tradition known as a dropping, in which groups of children, generally pre-teenagers, are deposited. What a word. They're (laughs) deposited in a forest and expected... To find their way back to base. I deposit my droppings in the toilet. Same. It is meant to be challenging, and they often stagger in at two or three in the morning. Wow. In some variations of the challenge, loosely based on military exercises, adults trail the teams of children but refuse to guide them. Well, that's comforting to know at least there's adults there. Okay. Although they may leave, the adults may leave cryptic notes as clues. Oh, I want to do it. Wow. To make it more difficult, adult organizers may even blindfold the children on their way to the oh dropping. Oh, my God. On their way to oh, the Oh, I'm dropping. just on the way. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was like, how are they going to go through a forest blindfolded? <laughs> or drive in loop-de-loops to scramble their sense of direction. Wow. Some They really want them to die in a forest. You're right. It appears so. <laughs> They're like, get lost, droplings. Get- <laughs> I'm I'm depositing you at the edge of the forest. See if you see me again. You've been deposited. <laughs> Sometimes they hide in the underbrush and make noises like a wild boar. Oh, the this adults? This is where all of the Netherlands children's deepest anxieties and insecurities yeah. and fears are coming from. Right. When they make it to the camp, is it just like a total confidence booster? Right. Like, I fucking did it. I fucking found my way out. Some of the shit was growling in there, and I didn't yep. know where the hell I was. Yep. And yep. all I had was a crude GPS. Right. And I made and it. And some scary notes. I made it. Either that, it's going to be either it's an all yeah. or nothing. Mm-hmm. If this sounds a little crazy to you, it's because you're not Dutch. 
The Dutch, it is fair to say, do childhood differently. <laughs> children are taught not to depend too much on adults. And adults are taught to allow children to solve their own problems. Mm -hmm. Droppings distilled these principles into extreme form, banking on the idea that even for children who are tired, hungry, and disoriented, there is a compository thrill to being in charge. Certainly, many adults in the Netherlands look back on the droppings fondly. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Rick Odega, a 22-year-old scout leader recalls being pulled over by police as he drove the wrong way on a one-way road on his way to a dropping. Oh, his no. heart sank, he says, because what I did was against the law. Oh. The officers pulled up beside him and asked him to roll down his window. They peered into the backseat of his car where there were four children in blindfolds. Oh, no. <laughs> Which Odega says is not really allowed either. No, not quite. Oh, honey. Odega tried to look wholesome. I'm here on a dropping, he told them, hoping for the best. They looked at each other and then they smiled at me and said, have a good evening and try to follow the rules. That could have been really bad if he wasn't there for a dropping. Yeah, that makes me think of the time when I was at Walmart and this little tiny girl came up to my cart and started uh -huh. when she was like, hi, hi, smiling real big. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, hi. And I'm like looking around for her grown up mm -hmm. and I didn't see anybody. And so she puts her hand on my cart and she's just chilling, smiling at my kids. And then I hear over the intercom, alert, there is a missing child in the store and they gave her description and I'm looking at her like... <laughs> shit kid you yeah. need to you need to go Get away from so me I, I took her to like a worker and it was yeah. fine but i'm like she had her hand on my cart yeah. wow what if they thought that i was trying to steal her right. i didn't want her i don't no. want any more no little ones that's terrifying yeah but she was just happy as shit Aww. she's like what's up guys <laughs> she just uh, wanted somebody yeah she didn't care if she it was, was her just, buddy she yeah. just wanted somebody she was socializing the children on the dropping in Austerlitz, not far from Utrecht, walked into the woods, and the smell of pine needles rises from the sandy earth. The forest floor is patched with ink-black moss. Mm. A half-moon appears in the sky. For a few minutes, there is a sound of cars on a road, but then that, too, is gone. The woods closes in, becoming dense. The night is the first dropping for Sin Jong Ward, an 11-year-old boy with jutting ears who claims to have learned English from Minecraft video games oh. and Hawaii Five-O. At home, he spends much of his leisure time planted in front of his PlayStation. This is one reason his parents have sent him to camp. He has never been lost in the woods before. <laughs> his mother... Tamara says the time had come for him to take on a greater responsibility and the dropping is a step in that direction. He's 11 years old, she says. The time window in which we can teach him is closing. He is going into adolescence and then he will make decisions for himself. After they had been walking for an hour, the group turns off the path and into the forest, then pause, stand in conference for a few minutes and then reverse themselves. Ten yards over the path, a huge body leaps, thrusting behind the leaves and the children startle. A deer. Oh. <laughs> if you peruse the Dutch newspapers with sufficient attention, you will find evidence of droppings gone awry. In 2012, German news media reported that five Dutch boys on a dropping in Germany called local police to extract them from the narrow space where they had become stuck between a rock face and a ventilation duct. Mm. A perilous adventure, the Germans reported. But Dutch journalists seemed unimpressed at all the fuss, mocking it as a droppings drama and a bit <laughs> romanticized. <I'm> sorry, <laughs> a droppings drama. <laughs> the dropping is often the most exciting part of a camping trip, one follow-up article said. Another report surfaced in 2017 when scout leaders in Belgium dropped 25 children in the woods and then drank a number of beers and fell asleep, <laughs> leaving the children Shit. wandering in the forest after their appointed pickup time. You they can't do that. that. No, no, no. You could have drank the next night, the night before, not the night of the dropping. The dropping. In 2011 and 2014, children on droppings were fatally struck by cars oh. while walking alongside roads. No. Since then, the practice has become far more regulated. The dropping team does carry a cell phone in case of an emergency, and the Scouting Association requires participants to wear high-visibility vests and distributes a long list of guidelines, mainly geared towards traffic safety. That's a little intense. I mean, I feel right? like there are other ways to teach to these things. And yeah. I, I do agree that it's important things that to learn and know. Sure. But 
that's a bit much. I feel like it's a bit much, too. And I'm mm-hmm. not really one to judge. You can do what you want. But right. at the same time, if I, let's just, I would, if I'm putting myself in that situation, mm-hmm. I would try to instill these values and the, these things into my child in a different way before right. doing that. Yeah. Before yeah, doing I a drop so. It's a little yeah. drastic for my right, parenting. Right, right. Okay, I have a QOTDW. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like a few people found the Coven Questions thread in the Cruel and Unusual colon the group Facebook page, Facebook group. And I'm just going to, we'll just do a couple of quick ones, like rapid okay. fire. Ben says, if Tuesday is Taco Tuesday and Wednesday is Waffle Wednesday, what is Friday? Fried food day. Duh. Fry day. I want fried cheese. I'm sorry, Ben. I don't know how you didn't know that that's what It's Friday fried is. food day. Honestly. Okay. Fish fry fr- <laughs> Friday. I don't like fish either. <laughs> I don't like fish either. Um, okay. But hopefully, Ben, that suffices. Do you it? know now? Yes. We also have one, two, three, four, four QOTDWs from Courtney. Okay. Who is also our newest Patreon member. Hey, Courtney. So we're going to answer some of Courtney's questions? Yeah. And then we'll save the rest for a different day. Okay. What is, what is it? 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 <laughs> um, okay. So one of them is, do you think they'll ever catch the Zodiac? He's my favorite serial killer. Also, it's Ted Cruz. <laughs> Ted Cruz. God, he's such a mother <laughs> effer, isn't he? He's a douchebag. Um... I think yes, but I also have this gut feeling, based off of nothing in particular, that the Zodiac Killer is not alive anymore. Yeah. I, yeah, same. I just feel that way. Yeah. But I think with all the advancements, someone just solved that cipher like last right. year. I think it's going to happen. I truly... Nobody's safe. No one is safe. Not even From you. being Found. discovered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think that if he were in jail or prison right now, we would know. Right. He would have talk to somebody about it he would have admitted to it right so yeah i have a gut feeling as well that he's not alive what do you think courtney let us know yeah let us know i want your opinions yeah all of you all of the opinions we love opinions Mm -hmm. if you could bring one thing back from your childhood like doritos 3d slap bracelets lisa frank etc what would it be and why Mm. my sanity (laughs) honestly my time my my skin i had like everything lisa frank you mm-hmm. know, they had like those little pull out drawers. Well, when my uncle died and we had to clean out his house, there was like a Lisa Frank thing up in his closet, which was my house. Yeah. He, he lives in the house I lived in growing up until I was like 10 or 11. Um, and I took it down and I was like, oh, my God, that's crazy, you know. Mm-hmm. And in there, there was just uh, there was a piece of paper that said, I love you. Oh, <laughs> isn't that so sweet? It I don't is. know if it was mine. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. He didn't just for reference. He mm-hmm. doesn't have any children in right. his life. Yeah. Aww. But yeah. So that was kind of comforting when I was cleaning out my dad uncle's house. That's a cool little story. Yeah. Giga pets and Tamagotchis. Oh, just to have something I love those little bitches yeah me too i got mine taken away in third grade oh no why i kept fucking with it during in class school? yeah yeah who so who mrs nagel mrs. mrs hildebrand yeah yeah but courtney so i think just kind of my sanity i feel like gigapets um, and they did come back though the tamagotchis yeah. and gigapets or right. whatever i never bought one no neither did recently I. I didn't buy one no and i feel like if i were to buy one for my kids it would be cool for 15 minutes mm-hmm. but now they've got ipads and right you know <laughs> right you know what i would bring back my old big ass desktop computer with Barbie magic hairstyler. Oh my Barbie, god! Barbie like mystery or whatever carnival the carnival caper. Um, girl talk. Yeah, I would bring back that. That would be the number one thing I would bring back. My desktop computer and all of those fun fucking games. That I, I want just the loved. feeling of playing the original Sims for the yes, first time. <laughs> for the first time. <laughs> and putting in the cheat code to yep. get a million dollars. Rosebud. 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 And the other one was Clopatious with a K. I don't even know that one, but I knew Rosebud. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I miss that. Love that shit. Oh my God. We'll save the all rest right. for next time. Okay. So this week you have the floor. I've got the floor. The whole floor. I've got the whole floor and in my nothing hands. nothing but the floor. Nothing but the floor. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) So I've got, we've been doing a lot of cruel. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to step over to the other side, to the unusual side. Unusual. Unusual. (laughs) We're going to, this is just like a weird, I asked in the group what you guys wanted. I saw that. 
I said, do you want like a heavy hitter, serial killer, or just like a really weird story? Everybody wanted a really weird one. You're all so fucking weird, Honestly, man. Because I wanted a serial killer one. <laughs> and I was like, wow, these people you and didn't I are vote. Not on the same page. <laughs> you didn't vote. I didn't vote. Um, so yeah, I have a weird story. It's a mystery. It stumped everyone for years until the truth was finally found by a genealogical DNA researcher. And you know I love this shit. You do love this shit. So it's a mystery. It's solved, yet not solved. Wow. There, and, and you'll see. Um, I just want to throw in a quick content warning. I do mention suicide and miscarriage. Okay, good. So Thank you for telling those me. Those are coming up. It's not a whole lot of time spent on either one of them, but just a warning. Are you ready to dive in? I'm head ready first? to dive head first. Are you buckled? I'm buckled. Five point harness. All right. On December 24th, 2010, the body of 42-year-old Lori Erica Ruff was found in her car in the driveway of her husband's family's house Oh, in Longview, Texas. Her husband's family's house. Mm-hmm. Okay. Lori Ruff was dead from a self-inflicted gunshot. Inside the car were two suicide notes, mm-hmm. one labeled, To My Wonderful Husband, and one for Lori's toddler daughter that was meant to be opened by the daughter on her 18th birthday. What a terrible 18th birthday thing, though. Yeah. You know? hmm Oh, honey. Of course, the Ruff family, including Lori's husband, Blake Ruff, opened both of the letters right away. Yeah. These notes have not been released to the public because they shouldn't be in my opinion. But when the family read them and the police read them, they all agreed that the notes were strange. They weren't a goodbye. They didn't include a reason why Lori might have taken her own life. They were ramblings, like a stream of consciousness written by someone with very severe mental illness. Okay. The police report actually stated that the letters were written by a, quote, clearly disturbed person, end quote. Blake Ruff and Lori Ruff were married, but they were not living together. Blake had filed for divorce and he moved into his parents' house, the one where uh, the one where Lori parked and took okay. her own life in the driveway. Okay. But Lori had been living in Leonard, Texas, in the house that she and Blake once shared with their daughter. I wonder if any of our Texas listeners know about this. I don't know. We have a lot in Texas. And it's pretty recent. Oh, well, I mean, like... I didn't, yeah. 2010. So Blake had left her. After Lori's funeral, the Ruff family decided that they needed to go to Lori's house and just see what they could find because, yes, Lori killed herself, but after reading her suicide notes, something was just very off. And this wasn't something new. I'll get into, and you'll hear, that Lori was very troubled and she kept a lot of secrets. Okay, okay, okay. They wanted to find out what Lori had been hiding for all of those years. How long had, how long had it been since Blake left her? Not very long. Okay. Less than a year. Okay. Blake's brother-in-law, Miles Darby, decided to bust into Lori's house in Leonard. He did call the police to come with him. He was reportedly scared that Lori's house might be booby-trapped or something like that. Wow. Um, they didn't I know exactly. know what that note know. said then. They didn't know exactly what they were going to be walking into, but when they did get into her house, they found dirty dishes all over the place, which, same. Yeah. Um clothes everywhere and Lori and Blake's toddler daughter's crib was reportedly soiled so I'm not sure if the little girl was present in the house or not I don't know if Lori left her there alone before driving to Longview and taking her own life or if Blake had her at the time that wasn't clear Um, but it was apparent that when the daughter was with Lori she was not being taken care of the way that she should have been honey okay and the daughter's name hasn't been released, so sure. I don't know it. Sure. So when Miles got into the house, he went straight for a lockbox that was kept tucked away inside of a closet, and it was labeled Crafts. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. This lockbox was sort of infamous, at least with Blake, the husband, because if Miles knew to look for it, Blake must have told him about it. Right. Blake, while Lori was alive, he was not allowed to touch that lockbox. Don't touch it. Don't open it. Don't look at it. Don't breathe the same air <laughs> as the lockbox. That's kind of crazy because I feel yeah. like if, some, if he told, if Rory, my husband, told me not to touch something or look in it, I, yes. that would be the first thing I did when he left. And the that's house. exactly what I put in here. That that would be the first, yes. thing, the first thing. Yeah. But Blake obeyed. From what I read, that's just how he was. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, like if it was us, if Tanner or Rory 
didn't say something to us about it, we wouldn't look in it. Exactly. Because I wouldn't give a shit. But just saying, don't touch this lockbox would make me touch the fucking lockbox. Exactly. So Miles, remember that's Blake's brother, he cracked open the lockbox with a screwdriver. Wow. He's like, I'm getting into this fucker. Okay. Um, inside, he found a birth certificate and an ID card under the name Becky Sue Turner. They also found, in the lockbox, another note with random scribbles and phrases like Mountain Bell, three hours or less. Okay. North Hollywood Police. And 402 months. And this just didn't make sense. Nothing about that was yeah. like, oh, that's what it could be. Right. Like, no, it was so, it was random out of nowhere. Right. They found pages ripped from an Arizona phone book. Another item inside the box was contact info for a lawyer named Ben Perkins. And like I said, none of this made any sense to Blake or anyone else. Like, why would Lori have these documents with a different name on them? Right. And what did those phrases mean? And That's the lawyer? So weird. It was just... Bizarre. None of it connected. Yeah. yeah. None of it made any sense. So you might be wondering where the hell this is all going. And I'm going to backpedal to the beginning when Lori met Blake and what their lives were like before this tragic night. Okay. Lori and Blake met in Dallas in 2003 at Northwest Bible Church. Okay. They fell in love almost immediately, it seems. Um, Lori was a little bit eccentric. She was brunette. She dressed very conservatively. Um, one article said like a matron. Oh. Um, she was a vegetarian. It's reported that she asked for an easy bake oven for Christmas as an adult. It's really she weird. She just thought they were cool. I was thinking about easy bake ovens with Courtney's question. Oh, yeah. She liked animals. She liked tea parties. Blake, he was more laid back and easygoing. He actually hailed from a pretty prominent East Texas oil boom family. The type of family who belonged to country clubs and they would send their kids to boarding schools. Blake went to the University of Texas in Austin, where he got a degree in economics, and he got a telecom management degree from DeVry, and he worked on commercial accounts for Verizon. Okay. Blake was perfect for Lori because Lori refused to speak about her past, and Blake obliged. Like, he okay. didn't ask questions. He clearly was not too worried about that no like he didn't open the fucking safe he just didn't yeah yeah he didn't he just wasn't a questioning type of guy he wasn't like i said he was laid back and he just never pressed the issue yeah okay this is a quote about blake by his brother miles darby quote he does not have much of an inner monologue or for that matter an outer one. Oh. his speech is stilted ask one question and he answers another it's not that Blake is trying to be evasive. He's just different. End quote. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Miles also said that Blake would often follow the lead of his identical twin brother, David. So, like, David bought a car. Blake would buy the exact same car. Got it. Okay. David joined a church, found someone to marry. Blake did the exact same thing. So, I think Blake, I don't, I don't really know what exactly the deal was, but it's almost like he just didn't. Because he was very used to kind of being in the twins, like, shadow. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Okay. The only things that Lori divulged about her past were that she had a rough childhood. She didn't go into detail, but her childhood was not great. She'd burned any photos from her youth that were left, is what, she's, is what she told Blake. Wow. Her parents were dead. She had no siblings, no extended family, no one. Lori would just like deflect mm -hmm. every question asked of her until the question stopped. If there were any questions right. to begin with. Yeah. Eventually, despite Blake's family being like, what the fuck, this relationship is a little strange. Yeah. Um, Lori might be after our money, or at the very least, she's odd. Yeah. But they became engaged to be married. Blake's mom was like, well, we're kind of high society, so we would like to put an engagement announcement in the paper. Oh my god. God. And Lori said, absolutely not. Yeah. She did not want her photo in the newspaper. Ooh, so Lori. Lori and Blake ended up eloping a year after they met, completely alone, besides the preacher who married them. Lori has some things to hide. Lori. After they were married, the couple moved into that house in Leonard, Texas. And Leonard and Longview, so Longview is where Blake's family lived. Okay. Blake and Lori moved to Leonard, and they're about... 125 miles apart these two towns leonard is very small the population is only about 2,000 people and the huff's house sat on about two acres of land Lori's job was working as a mystery shopper 
So <laughs> she would, in case you don't know what that is, she would go into businesses pretending to be a customer and like evaluate her service and experience. Although she called herself a marketing consultant. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, Lori. Okay. I would love to be a mystery shopper. Same. Though. And I, I would signed, call myself a mystery shopper right? too. I signed up for it one time. I still get the emails, but it seems really? very like overwhelming. Like you oh, have to do like oh, a really yeah. detailed report and like you make like $12 or something. And oh. then the cost of your food, like if it's a restaurant. Yeah. There just aren't many around here to do. Yeah, right. But I still get the emails and I still open them. <laughs> Anyway, so she worked as a mystery shopper. She also belonged to an organization called Texas Business Women. According to their website, Texas Business Women is a statewide organization of professional women who benefit from collective power. We help women grow their careers through education, networking, and community outreach. Sounds kind of like a networking group yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the Ruff's neighbors in Leonard would later report that Lori was not very neighborly. She just didn't like people. Blake tried sometimes, but it was almost like the couple was in their own little world and they just weren't interested in meeting their neighbors or having anything to do with anyone else. Same. I get it. I don't know my neighbors. I've never spoken to them. The only reason I know mine is because they've been the same for years. Yeah, right. But yeah, I have no like wants to go make friends out in my neighborhood Mm -mm. just because I... It's not my personality. Don't come to my door. No. In the six years that they lived in their house in Leonard, one of the neighbors, um, a man named Denny, said that he spoke to Lori and Blake one time in six years. Wow. A lot of times, neighbors would see Lori walking around the perimeter of her property, just aimlessly wandering and avoiding eye contact with anyone who might be around. She just didn't seem to like people, which is not a big deal on its own. But once you know all this other stuff, it's like, what is she doing? Blake would later recall that Lori was on medication for either ADHD or Tourette's syndrome, which we know, like, Blake was kind of aloof, maybe. Um, But you'd think he would know. I was just thinking that how do you not know what medication you're, or not even what medication, like Rory wouldn't know my anxiety medication. Right. But but what it's for. He knows I'm on an anxiety medication. Yeah. Yeah. And the difference between ADHD and Tourette's is very different. Right. Yeah. He just didn't ask questions. Yeah. Like I said, I I don't know what what it was with Blake. I don't know. More than anything, though, Lori wanted to be a mother. She had several miscarriages, and she and Blake ended up using various fertility treatments, and they conceived via in vitro fertilization. Lori finally gave birth to their baby girl in the summer of 2008. Blake's family suspects now that the reason that it was so difficult for Lori to get pregnant was because she was lying about her age, is what they think. And she was really quite a bit older than what she claimed to be. That was their theory on why she had problems getting pregnant. Okay. Which isn't known for sure, but it's a theory. Yeah. Regardless, when their daughter was born, things went downhill for Lori very quickly. Blake would say later that he could kind of tell by the way Lori held their baby that she hadn't spent much time around children. Which is, you know, if you haven't, then you're not going to know exactly what to do. Um, But at the same time, Lori was very, very protective of her daughter, so much so that she refused to let her in-laws hold the baby or even be in the same room as the baby. Wow. It was almost like she shunned them, Wow, her in-laws, after the baby was born. And I mean, like, they live over 100 miles away. It's a a doable drive to visit. But I assume Blake's parents weren't constantly over there. No. You know, so it's not like they were being overbearing. I I get that too. You know, if your in-laws are constantly around and you're just like, leave me alone. Right. Give me a moment But I don't think that they were. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they were. Wow. She was just way, way overprotective. It's said that during holidays and get-togethers when the women would be in the kitchen, like, preparing food and talking, because that's where women belong. You You know. know. You know. Lori would often shut herself in her bedroom with the baby. So... Blake seemed to assume that Lori was just self-conscious. Like, if Lori wasn't comfortable with herself, she wasn't going to be comfortable around mm-hmm. his family. Yeah. And I, I understand. Yeah, for sure. I've wanted to do that at family get-togethers, too. A million and times. And I have. <laughs> I literally disappear <laughs> but, during yeah. most family gatherings that are here, and I right. go into my room. But it was just, like, extra almost with yeah. her. You know? Yeah. Just a little Like, she didn't more. want the baby around them at all. No matter the reason, though, this was causing tension between the roughs 
and the other roughs. <laughs> so the roughs, Blake's family, and then yeah. the roughs, Blake, Lori, yeah. and the baby. Right. <laughs> but between them yeah. and the parents. Yeah. So it was, there were some riffs going on. Okay. Lori, riffs for the roughs. There were some riffs for the roughs. Got it. Lori seemed to want nothing to do with her in-laws, like I said. But on the other hand, she was meticulously researching the rough genealogical line and asking for family recipes. What? So it's like you're hot, then you're cold. You're yes, then you're no. You're in, then you're out. You're up Up and then then down. You're up, then you're down, Lori. It was like, I don't want anything to do with them, but I want to know everything that I possibly can about them. Is she a spy? Ooh, (laughs) that's a theory. Just you wait. Just you wait. For like a different... Um, high class family, right? Sensor like in as a spy, assassin. Yeah, but wow. Blake was very close with his family. Yeah, you know, yeah. and so I can only imagine he that twin. he felt torn. Yeah, between his baby and Lori and his family. Yeah, his brothers. So Lori's being very distant. I imagine that every time his family came over or they went to see them, he just dreaded it. You know, that would be a shitty spot to be in mm-hmm. for sure. And it just wasn't the life that he imagined with his wife and daughter. He wanted this, like, big, happy, extended family, and it wasn't that. Things got so bad that in 2010, Blake moved out of the house that he shared with Lori and their Mm -hmm. daughter, and he moved back into their parents' house in Longview. Shortly after he moved out, he filed for divorce from Lori, and Lori completely lost it. So one of Lori's neighbors in Leonard, that um, Denny that I talked about earlier, he was a pastor. And he said that the first time he saw Lori and her daughter after Blake moved out, they both looked extremely thin. Oh. Like undernourished. He said that Lori seemed frantic and almost incoherent. He said, quote, from that point on, I never saw her focus again. End quote. And he said that because he actually convinced Lori to let him counsel her at his church. When she would come in for counseling, she'd bring in these notebooks with the random... That's a lot. Words and scribbles in them. Um, Just, like I said, streams of consciousness about what was wrong with her and how she could get Blake back is what she had in these notebooks. Lori would move nonstop. Her hands always had to be doing something. She'd play with her hair. She'd hold a hand out and stare at it for a while. Denny said that for some reason, like, focusing on her hands was very important to her. Denny thought, because once Lori had a thought, she'd be stuck on it for a long time. Mm -hmm. Denny thought that maybe she was suffering from OCD or another mental illness, which is clear to me, I think. (laughs) Um, Crystal. (laughs) Especially since Blake said that she was on some sort of medication and having a baby can fuck with you. Her husband just left her. She Huge changes were going on so in her life. So many huge changes. So Denny thought it would be a good idea to have Blake come in for counseling too, so he could counsel them together. Like marriage therapy. Yeah. Um, but the thing was, Blake brought his twin brother, David, along. Ugh, weird, right? This like, is like fucking Bates Motel. Yeah. Shit. I don't like that. Reportedly, David did most of the talking on Blake's behalf. So Blake would barely talk. Lori refused to divulge any information about her past. Mm-hmm. Denny tried. But in the end, Lori and Blake's marriage couldn't be saved. Denny told the Seattle Times, quote, Honestly, I don't think she was capable of getting the help she needed because she was so obsessed about whatever she was obsessed about, mm. end quote. I think she needed, like, higher professional Yeah, exactly, help. yeah. Uh, you know? I just know from um, my mom being a pastor, at least in the church where you have pastors, they mm-hmm. call it pastor, like, they call it counseling. Right. But these, like, my mother is not... I feel like it's more like advice and like spiritual guidance. Exactly. It's a lot different than going to see someone who studied the brain and feelings and how things work and mental illnesses. Right. And, you know. Yeah. So for this time, Lori remained in the house in Leonard. Blake was still living with his parents in Longview. They were not together. They were separated, not legally divorced yet. Okay. But later that year in 2010, Lori started sending ominous, threatening emails to the Ruff family. Oh. According to Blake's family, she caused a quote-unquote ruckus during a custody exchange. Oh. Nancy, Blake's mom, noticed that after that exchange, one of their house keys was missing. Oh. Um, And the Ruff family were so freaked out by what Lori might do next that they filed a cease and desist order against her. Oh. Which I, you would think it'd be like a um, restraining order. Yeah. Yeah, but... 
they must have known what they were doing. Miles was actually a lawyer. Gotcha. Or is a lawyer. Shortly after that is when Lori took her own life. So this brings us back to Miles, Blake's other brother, breaking into Lori's lockbox and finding all of that weird shit. Right, right. The ID and birth certificate for Becky Sue Turner, the phone book pages, the weird phrases scribbled on paper, the lawyer contact info, all of that. So the lawyer, Ben Perkins, it was his information was on documents that they found in the lockbox. Right. The Ruff family contacted him and he had no records of Lori being a client. He didn't remember ever speaking with her. And he said that he never even had a client before who was white. Wow. So that's weird. Yeah. While Miles kept digging in the lockbox, he found a document that stated that Lori had actually changed her name in 1988 from Becky Sue Turner. So they're like, bingo. Okay, her having the birth certificate and the ID with Becky Sue Turner on it makes sense. That was her old name. She changed it to her name now. That's what they're thinking. But why would Lori have changed her name all those years ago? There was actually a PI living next door. So Miles took these documents to him and asked him to look into Becky Sue Turner to find out what the hell was going on. So he did. This PI informed the Ruff family that Becky Sue Turner was a two-year-old who died in a house fire in 1971. Oh my god. Lori was definitely not born Becky Sue Turner. Yeah. That wasn't her. The real Becky was born in California in 1969 and died in that fire in 1971 along with two of her sisters. Mm. 17 years later, in 1988, Lori decided to steal Becky's identity. God, that's awful. She'd gone to Bakersfield, California, requested a copy of Becky's birth certificate in May of 1988, and then in June of 1988, she used that birth certificate to obtain an Idaho state ID. Mm. And then in July, of 88 she legally changed her name from becky sue turner so she assumed this identity and now she's changing her name from that identity to Lori erica kennedy what the fuck so we've got three names for her now Lori ruff her married name right Lori kennedy the name she chose and becky sue turner the name she stole but we don't know her real name or identity right in general none of it the pi contacted the real becky sue turner's family and they had just like just in case yeah and they had no idea who Lori was wow so back in the day and i didn't know this Uh uh-huh i tried to ask my mom about it but she didn't know um people i guess people didn't receive their social security numbers at birth like they had one but they didn't get like their number or their card until they got their first job Oh, for wow. like tax purposes. And this was like 89. So in 89, she got that social security number. She got a Texas driver's license in 89. She got her GED the same year. And then she went to Dallas Community College and worked for some time as an exotic dancer. Okay. She graduated from UC Arlington in 97 with a degree in business administration. And around this time, Lori put together a resume to find a job after she graduated college. It said in vague terms that she'd worked in graphic design, marketing, tech support, and it also said that she was very well versed in various computer programs and languages, like things that didn't really make sense. Like the resume said she was proficient in PowerPoint and TextPad, but it also said that she knew C, the computer language C. Yeah. Catherine Snow of Cypher Magazine showed this resume to a software developer, and they're like, no, if Lori knows C then she's not going to include things like PowerPoint on her resume. It would just be like a given, Mm -hmm. I guess. Pretty much the PI's like, this resume is all fake. Right. Okay. So another item found in Lori's lockbox after she died was a reference letter to get a job from a person named Roger Steinbeck. This letter was determined to be completely fabricated. Dear God. Seeing as how it was written on this random stationery from a hotel in Thailand. What? Uh, Yeah. The the signature on that letter also looked very similar to the signature on Lori's driver's license. So lies, lies, lies. But very serious lies and straight up stolen identity. But why? Right. Right. The private investigator kept digging and found that Lori had a mail drop box in Boulder City, Nevada. And that box would forward her mail to Dallas, Texas. Nothing on her turned up in fingerprint or facial recognition databases. But Lori did have breast implants. What? 
and serial numbers. If yes, in case you didn't know, <sighs> breast implants have serial numbers yeah. on them. So the PI what? traced the serial number on Lori's implants, and they came back to Lori Kennedy. So that's not weird. That was like her maiden okay, name. Okay, I thought we were you know? getting somewhere. With we're that. gonna get somewhere. Don't worry. Don't okay. worry. So with nothing else to go off of, this is where the case hit a dead end for years. The roughs were left with only more questions about this woman who entered their lives that they really truly knew nothing about. Yeah. Theories and rumors began to run rampant as the case of Lori Erica Ruff became an internet sensation amongst armchair detectives. Maybe Lori escaped a cult at a young age. Maybe she was a KGB spy. Maybe she had mafia ties and witnessed a crime. Maybe she committed a horrible crime. Right. She could have been an assassin. Like, could have been. You know? You don't know. What the fuck? Maybe she ran away from an abusive partner. She loved Cuban food. Maybe she was from Florida. Right. Like, you don't know. I can you imagine. have no idea. I can just imagine. Only imagine going down this rabbit hole. You know? Truly. Maybe she didn't really die at all and her suicide was completely staged and Blake was in on the entire thing. Right. The theories went on and on. Oh Anything you could possibly think of, someone already thought of it. Yeah. But none of them were right. What? You know the answer? Kind of. What? Kind of. And we're okay. going to get there. How, how soon? Um, We're getting there. Okay. Pretty soon. I'm nervous and excited. We're going. Okay. We're going. So when Lori stole the identity of Becky Sue Turner, it would have been much easier for her to do then than it would be today. Sure, of course. You try this shit today, you're almost guaranteed to get caught. Mm -hmm. But back then, there were even how-to guides. Wow. On how to go about assuming a new identity. And it's called paper tripping, which I had never heard this term mm -mm. before. Um, they didn't have the technology back then to cross-check birth certificates and death certificates. Okay. And people just straight up didn't need that much proof or documentation to register their existence. So like I said, this is how the case of Lori Ruff's mysterious identity sat for several years. A former government investigator named Joe Velling, who used to work for the Social Security Administration looked into Lori's case in 2013 oh. after being asked to do so by an aide for a Texas congressman. This aide had been contacted by the Ruff family, who were still trying to figure out who Blake married, and they were asking for whatever help the aide could provide. So the aide contacted Joe Velling. And like the PIs who looked into Lori's case before him, Joe noted that Lori clearly didn't do this for financial gain. Mm -hmm. She didn't steal an identity to open up credit lines. She didn't come into a bunch of money quickly or at all, really. Yeah. It just seemed like she was running from something or someone. Joe Velling had a lot of tools at his disposal, databases and things like that, and he used them all, but he couldn't find anything more than what the PIs found. And that was very unusual for him. He was like a go-getter, you know, like he yeah, was like he just a hard hitter. Shit, yeah. yeah. He was used to figuring things out. So Joe contacted a Seattle Times reporter, and he asked her to run a story on Lori in hopes that crowdsourcing would lead to new information. Like, we need to let the country know, or else we're not going to find anything new. You know, right. maybe someone will recognize the picture or something right. like that, and they'll have new places to dig. This story ran on the front page of the Seattle Times, and this is when it gained national and international attention. The online sleuth theories began. This is when the, all those theories started, because now people knew about Lori. Yeah. But it wasn't until 2015 that the case actually started to go anywhere. Okay. A lot of the online... <laughs> I'm rubbing my hands <laughs> together. She's very excited. A lot of the online sleuthing being done was people combing through missing persons reports mm -hmm. and photos and, and missing posters looking for someone who resembled Lori. Insert a woman named Colleen Fitzpatrick. Okay. Colleen is just a goddamn gem. Oh, Let okay. me tell you. She's a nuclear physicist turned forensic genealogist. Wow. And through her work, she's helped lawyers find estate heirs. She's helped Holocaust survivors find their family members. She's helped adopted people find their birth parents. And she even discovered the identity of a child who died on the Titanic. Wow. Hi. All by tracing ancestry through DNA. Hi. Hello. How yeah. are you, Hello, Colleen. Colleen. Colleen and her partner, Margaret Press, would later be the founders of the DNA Doe Project. Wow. Yeah. Colleen. They, yes. Colleen and Margaret. Stepping out. They identified Buckskin Girl, 
Marsha yeah. King, among so many other unidentified does. And fun fact, Margaret Press, Colleen's partner, was the one who did the legwork to discover the identity of Joseph D'Angelo, wow. the Golden State Killer. It all yeah. comes full yes. fucking circle. Yes. I could talk for hours about these women. Yeah. But so Colleen began looking into Lori's case after she read that Seattle Times story. She was like, we can use DNA for this. Mm-hmm. Lori and Blake had their daughter, you know, the little girl. Which and is a whole host of DNA. I know. And obviously that daughter shared <sighs> DNA with Lori. So if Colleen could get a sample of the daughter's DNA, she could take Blake's DNA out of the sample yeah. and leave only Lori's DNA. As luck would have it, the Ruff family had already sent a vial of the daughter's saliva to 23andMe and Ancestry.com in the hopes that she could somehow, someday, learn about her mother's side of the family. Wow, that's nice Yeah, that they did that. Miles, Blake's brother, said that they just wanted to have the ability to give her answers, like in any way that they could. So they had already sent in her DNA. And Colleen was able to access the little girl's DNA profile and run a match search. And she found some people who would have been Lori's distant cousins. Wow. But those people were so distant to Lori that they wouldn't have been any help in identifying her. They wouldn't know her. They probably wouldn't have even known her. Damn, damn, double damn. But then another match popped up. This man, Michael Cassidy, he was the match. He would have been Lori's first cousin. Things were looking up until they weren't. Oh, no. Um, because Michael Cassidy is a very common name in the United States. Yeah, that's true. There were thousands of them when they when they looked. Oh. And they did comb through and find the ones who were most likely to be Lori's cousin. Like the most promising yeah, ones. Yeah, comb through all the Michael Cassidys. They're like, this is promising. They contacted a bunch of them but never heard anything back. <sighs> so another dead end. No. And that's close. That's a first cousin. Yeah. You know? Right. But they just didn't have, like, an online presence or, like, contact, you know, like... Right. Random... Con- like, I think she messaged one of them on Ancestry and, like, who checks that? Really? Right, I mean, no, you know, right. Not regularly, anyway. So, Colleen spent the next several years periodically checking in on the DNA for more matches and investigating any possibilities as they showed up. Okay. And there were some hints at Pennsylvania, like, at the Pennsylvania area, but not enough for any solid leads. And then finally, a third cousin of Lori's popped up as a match, and Colleen had the same thought. Like, this relative is too distantly related to be of any help. Mm-hmm. But Colleen used this name to start a family tree. So Colleen traced Lori's family tree all the way back to 1848, and then reversed and traced it all the way up on another branch, and a familiar name popped up, Michael Cassidy. So now she knew the exact Michael Cassidy oh, that okay. Lori was related so to, her first cousin. For sure. Yes. Okay. Michael? And this Michael Cassidy did live in Philadelphia, in wow. Pennsylvania. Okay. So she was right. I think I've said wow 20 million times. It's okay. It's a very wow worthy story, right? <laughs> yeah. Colleen called Michael, Michael Cassidy, and Michael was shocked. Certain that she was on the correct path, Colleen called up Joe Velling with the news, and Joe flew out to Philadelphia. Joe didn't go straight to Michael Cassidy, though. He went to someone else. Who? A woman named Deanne. The fuck is Deanne? You're going to find out. (laughs) Joe said that he was feeling very awkward. Like, how do I go up to this person and be like, you don't know who I am, but I think you're related to this person, and we don't even know the name of this person. Can you imagine, like, going up to someone and telling them? I'd be like, this person is a fool. Yeah. But he said he had to do it. Good news, bad news. It had to be done. Sure. So he went to Deanne's work. He found her and asked if he could tell her a story. She said yes, and he went into the whole entire story of Lori Ruff. This relative didn't know a Lori, let alone a Lori Ruff or a Lori Kennedy, because that wasn't that wasn't Lori's real name. Oh, right. Yeah. You know? But so, she knew someone. So Joe pulled out the photographs he brought with him. Oh, my God. Okay. He laid them out on the table okay. one by one, and when he pulled out the most recent photo he had of Lori... Her driver's license. Mm-hmm. Deanne said, my God, that's Kimberly. Okay. The next day, the entire extended family gathered to speak to Joe. Wow. He relayed the information he had, and they were all so nervous and angsty, but they all knew. Yeah. Lori was Kimberly McLean. Deanne is her mother. <gasps> oh. Yeah. So Deanne had to find out. Yeah. 
Deanne was 80 at this point. It's 2016. Wow. And she hadn't seen her daughter in 30 years. Wow. And now she's learning that her daughter is dead. Oh my God, poor honey. Kimberly, or Lori, I'm going to refer to her as Kimberly from this point on. Yeah. She grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia. She had a sister, and Deanne was a stay-at-home mom. Kimberly's dad was a tradesman and a volunteer firefighter, and by all accounts, Kimberly's childhood was great. She and her sister would ride on fire trucks with their dad. They had family dinners every night. They went on vacation. Things were good. Until Kimberly's parents divorced. Oh, no. Deanne remarried. Trigger for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Deanne remarried. She moved to another part of Pennsylvania. She took Kimberly and her sister with her. And Kimberly enrolled at Bishop McDevitt High School. And reportedly, this is when things went very much downhill for Kimberly. Deanne said that Kimberly simply never adjusted to the divorce and the move and the new school and the new stepdad. It was all just too much for her. Yeah. When Kimberly was 18 in 1986, she moved to King of Prussia, Pennsylvania on her own. And she told Diane that she was leaving for good. She said, don't look for me. Don't come after me. Jesus. And no one ever heard from Kimberly McLean again. Because she, it wasn't Kimberly anymore no. after that. The family tried. They tried to find her, to contact her. But then Kimberly stole the identity of Becky Sue Turner, changed her name to Lori Kennedy, as we know, and the rest was history. The family just couldn't figure out why. As far as anyone could tell, Kimberly didn't join a cult. She wasn't an assassin or a spy. She was a runaway. But in my opinion, there had to have been more of a reason for her to go through all of that trouble. Like, leading a double life, starting quite literally an entire new life, there had to have been a reason. Right. There must be a reason. You know? Yeah. That's the mystery that's never been solved. God damn. Yeah. Joe Velling wondered if maybe she was AWOL from the military or if she'd gotten caught up with crime in Las Vegas, but nothing of the sort ever turned up. She wasn't connected to any criminal acts besides the identity theft. Kimberly left home in 1986, but she didn't obtain her false identity until 1988. Oh, wow. So no one really knows where she was or what she was doing during those two years. That might answer a lot of questions if we knew that. Right. Um, She did have ties to Idaho, California, and Las Vegas before she moved to Texas. And in a Seattle Times article, Kimberly's brother, Tom Cassidy, reflected on how incredibly sad it must have been for Lori. No family was there when she graduated college, when she got married, when she had her baby. Tom told the Seattle Times, quote, her birthday was October 16th, 1968. Can you imagine the burden of all of that fakeness? Wow. How it all added up, end quote. Wow. Miles Darby, Blake's brother, is glad that they now know her identity in spite of not knowing why Kimberly did what she did. The Ruff family has been connected with Kimberly's family in Pennsylvania, and the little girl whose DNA provided answers now has another set of grandparents and a whole new extended family. God. And that's where the story ends. (laughs) It's both satisfying and not at the same time. Right. You know what I mean? It just hurts that Kimberly was hurting so badly that she thought she had to do that right run away change her name never speak to her family again like she was something was going on right from a younger age too yeah and then like her brother said all of that accumulated pain over the years and the mental health struggles that weren't addressed it's just like the whole time i was researching her it hurt my heart that she it didn't have to end how it ended right But then again, I know exactly how it feels. And when you're in those trenches, you're blinded by your own pain. You can't see how things could ever possibly work out and end up being okay. And that's just very sad to me. I hate that. Mm -hmm. Isn't that weird, though? Like, I want to know. It gives me a bad feeling. But at least, you know, Lori's or Kimberly's little girl can know her family yeah right on her mom's side sides yeah yeah and kimberly's parents have answers i mean you know not the answers they wanted right but answers right good job thank you that was a wild ride isn't that just a it's just a weird story honestly truly sincerely Mm -hmm. yes i just want to (laughs) know i know all right what are you reading watching listening to okay watching nothing that's easy (laughs) 
<laughs> never watching anything. Um, let you me watched look. TikToks with me last night. Uh, yeah, last night, uh, Katie and I had a girls' night with our cat, and we watched TikTok the entire time. Oops. Let me go to my app so I can tell you what I'm listening to. Oh, I finished the thing about Pam from Is NBC that News. Pam Hup. Yeah. Okay, you said that before, and I yeah. didn't. It didn't connect with me. Uh-huh. I know that story. That's yeah. wild too. Wild. Oh my gosh. So that's um. So the thing about Pam is a podcast. It's from NBC News. Um, the guy from Dateline. I'm pretty sure. Is yeah. One who narrates it. Um, phenomenal. <laughs> like that one a lot. It's like maybe five or six episodes. Mm-hmm. Don't quote me because that's probably wrong. <laughs> Um, But I think it's five or six. So the other ones that I was trying to get into, I just can't get into yet. If you guys have pod recommendations, let me know. Um, I obviously started reading Synthetic Love because my little love, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Christina Hart, who is a Patreon, who loves the podcast. Speaking of love, I love the new cover for that book. Yeah, I really, really like it. I love the dark. You guys, I'm looking at the cover for Synthetic Love by Christina Hart right now. The blues and the purples and the blacks (laughs) and the synthetic doll. Love it. You guys, um, I'm just going to tell you that it's about a man named Alan who has a sex addiction. Mm -hmm. And he is trying to be faithful to his partner. So he gets a sex doll. (laughs) And that way, like when he has the urge to like go fuck, he go fucks a sex doll. And there's a lot of deep-rooted issues with Alan. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's so good. I'm 17% in. I haven't had a chance to read again. But the night that she did, Synthetic Love has been out for a while. And the night that she did her, like, recover reveal and yada, yada, like, kind of just, like, pushing it back out into the world again, um, I read 10 chapters in, like, 20 minutes, or no, probably, like, about a half an hour. Yeah. I could not stop reading. Wow. Because it's just very interesting. And I love the way that Christina writes. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's so fun. It's so funny. (laughs) I just love it. I'm such a fangirl. Um, But yeah, so that's what I've been reading and watching and listening. What about you, my little boo? Well, I was telling you about the podcast that I listened to, um, Stolen, The Search for Germaine. Yes, I started that, but you're a lot further than me. I highly, highly recommend it. It's very, I'll just read you the little like info blurb on the podcast. It says, in 2018, a young indigenous mother left a bar in downtown Missoula, Montana, and was never seen again. After two years and thousands of hours of investigative work, the case remains open, and police believe they're close to solving the mystery of what happened to Jermaine Charlotte. On this season of Stolen, we go inside the investigation, tracking down leads and joining search parties for Jermaine through the dense mountains of the Flathead Reservation. As we unravel this mystery, the show examines what it means to be an indigenous person in America. So there are, I think there are seven episodes out now, and the last final episode comes out tomorrow, Monday, which by the time this episode comes out the podcast should be complete yeah. for everyone to binge. It's so good. And it's so sad yeah. hearing all of these women tell, speak about, not only speak about Jermaine, but tell their own stories and how yeah. they're, and how they're disproportionately victims of abuse yeah. as indigenous women and, and murder. God, it's, it's so very sad. hard and heartbreaking, but it's very, very well done. It's Connie Walker. Mm-hmm. She did Missing and Murder, the Missing and Murdered podcast. I don't think I've ever um, heard that. I started that one. She's a very good storyteller. And she can really get inside the hearts and the minds of these indigenous women because she is one. Yeah, right. So I highly recommend that. That one is Stolen, The Search for Jermaine. Um, I haven't really been doing much else. No. <laughs> At all. Okay. Sometimes no. you don't. I mean, I've been writing. Oh, oh. Oh, you guys, oh. I watched The Devil You Know season, it's season two, so it's like a whole new story. It's fucking nuts, man. <laughs> it's what was crazy. the first season about? Didn't I don't you, know. like, have me watch it or something? I've never seen the first season. No? no? Oh. It's about, at least this season, I didn't really know what I was going into, this um, cult leader almost, like, online, who has, like, this big online following, and, like she's thinks she's like a a prophet and people are lizards and witches and it starts with this 911 call from this woman who had just shot her boyfriend 
but she says that he was holding the gun over her, like holding her hands over the gun and, and he wanted her to do it. And it's just, it's very That's intense. Weird, yeah. Very, very intense. I don't know how I know like the devil, you know, but maybe I've seen it somewhere. Yeah. If you guys just want some like <laughs> weird shit weird to watch. Shit. Yeah. Watch that. But that's it. Yeah. Katie, tell the good people where they can find us. Okay, good people, listen up. <laughs> Bad people, turn it off. <laughs> you can send us an email at cruelandunusualthepod at gmail.com. We actually have an email that we're going to be reading next time. We do, from Courtney. We're going to read her story mm-hmm. next week. I'm very excited. excited about I that. haven't read it, and I don't think you have I haven't either. read it either. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a big old surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, send your stories ghost stories creepy stories funny whatever you want whatever kind of stories we want your goddamn stories cruel and unusual the pod at gmail.com i tweet she tweets at cruel <laughs> unusual pod you can look at our instagram at cruel and unusual the pod join our facebook group for cruel the love of god and unusual colon the group on facebook and then go to crueling.media.com for merch and show notes and source material and and things all the things okay those things they're god. there Click it, type it, find it. Goodbye. Goodbye. We love you. (laughs) Love you. Bye. Bye.